1: Welcome to Banking Weekly from the Financial Times with me, Patrick Jenkins. Joining me in the studio today are Martin Arnold, our banking editor, and Caroline Binham, our financial regulation correspondent. This week, we'll be discussing Jamie Dimon's decision to stay as head of JP Morgan for another five years, the row at RBS over the behaviour of its GRG platform, And finally, reflections on Davos, Martin's conclusions from last week's extravaganza in the Swiss ski resort. First though, to Jamie Dimon. Martin, the chief executive of JP Morgan, has been in his job for, what, 12 years now? He's got a bit of a reputation for assassinating potential successors who might be making their presence felt too early when he wants to stay on. Now he's just appointed two co-presidents and also said that he plans to stay for an extra five years. How should we read these latest remarks from what is probably the world's most powerful banker?
2: Yeah, he is certainly one of the most powerful businessmen in the world. And committing to stay at the bank for five years is from a real position of strength. There is a clear succession plan, as you mentioned. And also, the five year period is quite interesting because there's a lot of speculation about whether Jamie Dimon could be tempted to go into politics. He's known to be a Democrat supporter and could be considered a likely challenger to Donald Trump. In the next US presidential election. So this is seen as him letting everyone know that he's not going to do that, that he's going to stay at the bank for another five years and not go for a political change of career. However, I would say that because... Both of the co-COOs are getting on a bit themselves. They're in their late 50s. By the time Jamie Dimon's expected departure comes along, they will be too old, realistically, to do anything more than an interim job as CEO. And also, I've got a report back from Davos that the speculation amongst J.P. Morgan employees around Jamie Dimon is as intense as ever, that he is spending more time than ever in Washington, that he seems to be positioning himself for a run, potentially at the presidency or some kind of other big political job such as mayor of New York. So maybe it's not as clear as all that. And maybe actually what's happening here is that Jamie Dimon is saying to the board, I'm your man for the next few years, but we have a great succession plan in place. You've got these two co-COOs, but below them, you've got people like Marianne Lake, the CFO, who with perhaps one more job running a business line could be his successor. Younger people like her coming through where you know you can see that the bank is still got a pretty strong bench even though Jamie Dimon is famous for having said goodbye to many of the people who were considered his most likely successors over the past decade.
1: Including of course a couple who now run big British banks not least Bill Winters at Stanchart and Jess Staley at Barclays. Well we'll keep a close watch on that but one thing's for sure Jamie Dimon never takes the expected line so it's going to be a fun five years if it lasts that long. Let's move on to our second topic. RBS is back in the news. It's GRG unit, which is basically a crisis unit for small to medium sized businesses, has been in Parliament being quizzed by the Treasury Select Committee. And Caroline Binham has been watching. What was it like, Caroline?
3: Well, I definitely describe it as a bruising hearing. I mean, this was not a great morning for RBS. The chairman, Sir Howard Davis and the Chief Executive Ross McEwan were both answering questions by the Treasury Select Committee following a grilling by the head of Promontory at the same hearing. Promontory, you'll remember, is the consultancy that undertook the report commissioned by the FCA into this restructuring unit known as GRG. So, I think the key takeaway from the hearing was essentially that both Sir Howard and Mr. McEwan said that they now accepted. Promontory's findings and conclusions, and that essentially it was time to move on. The reason why that's significant is that as recently as October, Mr McEwen, in letters and testimony to the Select Committee, said that he rejected Promontory's key finding of widespread inappropriate treatment of customers. And during the hearing, he said that while there was still disagreement about that, because he felt that this finding went beyond what Promontory was asked to do by the FCA, That the bank had decided to accept the recommendations and the findings. But what I would say is that this caps a torrid few weeks for RBS over GRG, which let's remember, the allegations go back nearly a decade at this point, it's been four years that the FCA has been looking at it. And that was after the reports by Dr. Lawrence Tomlinson, for instance, which had been commissioned by Vince Cable. So this is very much A long-running saga that still we haven't seen a conclusion of. The FCA still has an open investigation into the bank and the senior managers of GRG. So in the last few weeks, we have seen RBS the subject of a parliamentary debate where there were calls for a full inquiry as to what went on. There has been a new inquiry launched by the Department of Business, Enterprise and Industrial Strategy into a particular allegation around its small lending practices. And the Select Committee, in actual fact, a couple of weeks ago, put out this two-page now infamous tip sheet called the Just Hit Budget Memo, where we saw some pretty shocking recommendations that a manager of the GRG unit pushed on his staff. And it included lines like, Rope, sometimes you just have to let customers hang themselves. I think one of the key things to remember is that even when we do have a conclusion to all of this, public demand for heads on spikes may not be sated. And this is because the FCA has warned that because corporate lending was unregulated at the time, indeed it it still is, its ability to do very much in terms of penalties, fines, bans, etc. is curtailed.
1: Let's move on to our final topic. Martin, you alluded to the Davos Forum when you were talking about Jamie Dimon, who was there last week for J.P. Morgan, obviously. But as big a personality as Jamie Dimon is, there's more to Davos than Mr. Dimon. So what were the biggest takeaways that
2: you came back with? The biggest story was clearly Donald Trump coming to Davos and meeting with many European CEOs and giving a big speech to close out the final day of the forum in the Alpine Ski Resort. And what I took away from talking to many of the CEOs who were just on their way out of this meeting with the US president was that having been very sceptical going into the meeting about Donald Trump, because remember, just before Davos started, he had announced that the US was going to slap extra tariffs onto washing machines and solar panels. And people were very worried this was the start of a trade war that he was going to come to Davos, the home of the global business and political elite and thumb his nose at them by saying, you know, America first, we're going to go back to protecting our borders, we're going to slap many more tariffs and retaliate against unfair trade from the likes of China. He didn't do that. He was much more conciliatory wanted CEO said that you know he was in charm mode they came out really they'd been sweet talked it was pretty amazing and i think Trump's message was, I'm cutting taxes. I'm deregulating. This is going to be great for America. You should come and invest in the US. And this won a lot of them over. Now, some of them said that they did raise the trade issue with Trump, because clearly that's very important to banks. They depend on global trade, a lot of them, for their revenues. But he was very conciliatory. There was no big backlash against the global elite. It was all about America first, but America not alone, and come and invest in America And if it was very bullish about the state of the world and obviously economic growth is rising, the US tax cuts, monetary policy is returning to normality without big hiccups so far. So mostly people are pretty positive. There was, however, one big negative, which was, well, that was the UK. Unfortunately, as a Brit, I found it a bit hard to stomach because everyone was saying how great everything looked in the world Oh, except for you guys in the UK. Such a shame what you've done with Brexit. Such a shame the way, you know, your political situation is. I mean, clearly people are a bit concerned about the prospect of a Jeremy Corbyn government. At least the financial bosses don't like the idea of that. And I think the UK didn't do itself huge favours because Philip Hammond gave a speech to the British Business Leaders Lunch, which was a collection of the British representatives of industry and finance in Davos, at which he said that his aim was to achieve as modest a change from the current situations possible with Brexit. And that did not go down very well with some parts of the Tory party. And you very quickly saw a denial issued by Number 10, by Theresa May's office, which just made the UK look like, again, that, You know, we're still arguing with ourselves over what kind of Brexit we want. Whilst everyone else from President Macron of France to Donald Trump were laying out these grand global visions, we were sort of still bickering in a corner about Brexit.
1: Although, of course, I guess the Davos delegates will have very much liked what Mr. Hammond said in terms of a soft Brexit agenda.
2: Yeah, I think his message was well received by the business leaders who were there. But as I say, within an hour, it had been denied. And therefore, again people were left scratching their heads about what does the uk really want out of this brexit process very good and we were talking about this topic and the lack of
1: a financial services position paper from the government in the latest edition of brexit unspun you can download that ft podcast from all the usual apps that's it for this week all that's left for me to do is to thank martin and caroline here in the studio and thank you for listening Remember, you can keep up to date with all of the latest banking stories at fg.com slash banking. Banking Weekly was produced by Fiona Simon. Until next week, goodbye.
0: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.